this time as we um, go to the Word of God and turn to Revelation chapter 9. We'll begin reading in verse 13. Father God, thank you for your Word. This is what put the church together. The church did not put the Bible together. Your Word is the Word. You birthed the church. You are building your church. And the primary means that you use for building your church is the proclamation of the gospel. So we pray that the gospel will be proclaimed through your word this morning. And we are thankful that we are in a church that believes in the authority of your word. Help us now to understand, to hear, and to obey all the things that we hear today. And if there are those who do hear who do not believe, we would pray for faith to come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So Revelation chapter 9 beginning in verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. And the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. The word of the Lord. And so we do live in troubled times, as have most people um, throughout the history of the world. There have been times and moments and places where there may have been relative peace, but there's never been a time on this earth where there has been nothing but peace after the fall. But there is light, and there is life, and there is hope, and you just have to know where to look and how to look and it's not inward but it's upward these trumpet judgments where we are in Revelation just by way of a reminder the um, book of Revelation is an, apocaly an apocalypse of Jesus Christ an unveiling of Jesus Christ but the word apocalypse also lets us know that this is uh, literature that's written in the genre 
of an apocalypse. Apocalyptic literature is a type of literature. If you read a fairy tale, which this is not, but if you read a fairy tale and you are reading it to your children, hopefully you're communicating to your children that this didn't really happen. This is just a fairy tale. But it may point to something else. We have Aesop's fables, which were things that um, didn't really happen, but they teach lessons. Jesus would tell parables, which um, parabole, it means to throw something alongside. So he would tell a story of something that didn't actually happen. It's just a story that you're supposed to gain the meaning of that comes along beside it. So we'll do that from time to time. You tell the story of somebody who lost a gold coin. Not that nobody ever lost a gold coin, but he's not just saying, you know, let me tell you a true story about a woman who lost a gold coin. But let's just talk about, let's just say there's a person who lost a gold coin. And what do you do when you lose a coin? You go crazy looking for it. Or your key. That'd be what we would do today. Gold coin. You know, I guess it had to be a very special. But what happens when you lose your keys? Miss Joyce can explain these things in greater... Sorry, we had a, we had a moment today. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you lose something, you just like, you can't... I'm like, Amy, I'll lose my keys on rare occasion. And I'll say, Amy, I'll have my keys. She'll say, and I know every husband has heard this from their wives, it's okay, I have mine. That's fine, but they're not mine, and I need to find them. And so you find them. And so Jesus is telling a story in a similar way of something that's lost. And he says, and this is how the father goes searching for the lost. How the believer now in the church should be out searching to seek for the lost. And then finally, in a series of parables, he tells the story of the lost son. The parable of the prodigal son. And so in this apocalyptic literature, what we have to understand as we're reading it, this is a book of symbols, and you read it like you would read, it's like a fairy tale in the sense, it's more like if you're watching um, or reading you know, The Lord of the Rings or, or C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, things like this where there's imagery that points to something else. Now, the good thing about the book of Revelation is, one, inspired by God, and it's imagery that points to an ultimate reality that, as, as you know, sometimes like if you, if you write a love letter to, you know, some, your significant other, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, or, your, or whatever, um, it's like you're trying to express things that you just can't put into words, and so there's some song that talks about some sappy thing, and it's like, oh, that's what I'm trying to say, my heart breaks, you know, things like this. So there are spiritual things that are very difficult to explain if you just come right out and say it. And so you get symbols, and you use the Old Testament to figure out what do these symbols mean, and it helps you understand what's going on. But also, um, it's a little veiled to those who are not believers. But it is an unveiling to people who are believers. Jesus even says the reason I say things in parables, because his disciples said, why do you keep telling stories in parables? And he says, so that those who can't hear will keep on not hearing, and those that don't see will keep on not seeing, unless they hear in turn. So it's an interesting thing that takes place, so that when Jesus speaks to Lazarus and says, come forth, Jesus comes forth. And when Jesus speaks to us through his word, we come forth, and the dead in Christ will come forth. Those who are the called, those who are the chosen, at some point when they hear the word of God, they will be brought life so as we're reading the book of revelation put those scripture eyes on so that we read it literally which means you read it as the literature it's intended to be which means see the images 
and let's find out what is it meant to communicate. And so we started with, we're in these trumpet judgments. And so we've already seen, talked about, shown through scripture how trumpets are um, instruments of war, true musical instruments of war. They call to battle. They call to congregation. They are uh, warnings and things like this so that if you're in a city and the enemy is coming and you hear them blowing the trumpet, trumpets, get ready. If you're in the, about to participate in a battle and your trumpets start to blow, get ready to attack. Get ready to gather. And so what we see in Revelation is to the enemies of God, beware and listen to what is happening in the world and be aware that you need to wake up, that you need to repent, that there is judgment. And for the church, what we need to hear is you need to wake up. There's battle that's taking place. There is a spiritual war that we are confronted with as well. And if we're not careful, because of the letters we saw to the seven churches at the beginning, where Jesus Christ walks in the midst of the churches and he gives warnings, and he says, though, to the ones that remain faithful, the ones who conquer, I will give everlasting life, give himself to them. So these things that we see in life, as we see here that's happening um, revealed to us in the book of Revelation, also are happening for us to see and say we need to remain firm. We need to remain strong in our faith. We don't need to get called up with the world because the world is under condemnation and judgment. And also, we need to be out there proclaiming the gospel so that more people will be sealed and protected from these judgments. So you get to verse 13 in Revelation 9. It says, The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. So when somebody just picks up the Bible, and they're like non-believer, and they're like, oh, let's see what this book's about, and they, they get here and they read that, they're like, it makes no sense at all. Or they make up something about it. And... But we know what the golden altar before God is. It's um, Leviticus chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. I'm not going to turn there, but you can look at it later if you like. But it was an altar that was before the tabernacle of God, and the blood of the sacrifices were put, of the bulls and goats and things were put on the horns, smeared on the horns of the, of the altar. Horns rep- there are four horns on the altar. They represent power. And uh, it was only through that that anyone could enter into the holy place of God. It pointed to the blood of Christ so that the sinner deserved his blood to be spilled because of the judgment of Christ. Instead, these sacrificial animals represented something else, were killed, the blood taken, smeared on the horns of the altar, and thereby God saying, your sins are atoned for, your sins are forgiven. You are acceptable in my presence now because of the blood. And then we learn that the blood is the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only ever anyone ever forgiven, Old Testament, New Testament, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood shed for us in our place. So then we hear a voice coming from that very altar. And so that might seem obvious, but it's a voice coming from the very place where our sins have been atoned for, the place of power and the place of of judgment, but also the place of mercy and forgiveness. And if we go back to Revelation chapter 6, and we look at verses 9 through 11, we read this. When he opened the fifth seal, this is 
looking at all these things from a different perspective. The fifth seal, I saw where? Under the altar. So this is that same altar. And, but now under this altar are the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice. So there is a voice that is coming from this altar. And it is the voice of the believers who have gone before us. Believers in heaven. And it probably includes our very voices even today as we join with these voices O Sovereign Lord is our prayer, the prayer of those who have gone before coming up from this altar. Holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And so we hear that, and it's a lot of things that can go on in our minds as we think about that prayer, and we should meditate on it and think about it. But one of the things is they're praying the similar prayer that non-believers pray, but in a different way. Non-believers will say, I don't care for your God. I don't believe in your God because if there is a God, I see evil, I see destruction, I see terrible suffering, I see death, I see disease, I see famine. I see all these things that were shown clearly in the book of Revelation. I see them too as a non-believer. How long are you going to tell me about this God? And then the demonic forces we see at work behind that thinking as they speak into the non-believer's lives constantly. And, and how do demons speak? I think some of it is just voices in your head. Commercials on TV, non-believing politicians, non-believing teachers, non-believing pastors, non-believing psychiatrists, psychologists, doctors, lawyers, teachers, children, whoever, who are captured by Satan to do his will, seeking to anesthetize their pain, seeking to stamp out and quieten and dull, dim the brightness of God. Now, they may not come right out and say that, but the Bible tells us that that is exactly what's going on. They are suppressing the knowledge of God and their sin, not just in their own hearts, but anywhere around them too, seeking to suppress it in your life. And so as we see them praying, how long before you avenge evil, non-believers are praying, hey, Who's the evil one to the non-believer? God himself. You see it in the garden. This is what the serpent saying from the beginning. God knows that when you do it, God's a liar, basically. is what the serpent's saying. You're going to be like him. Power. Being able to say what's right and wrong for yourself. Everybody has a sense of right and wrong. Even people who just do right out, flat out, even objective evil before the world. They think it's right for them to do it. But the cry in heaven is also how long? But how long will it be before you avenge your church? How long will it be before you put an end to evil? Now we here on earth are praying, oh Lord God. You know, where we are right now is open their eyes. Help them to see. Help them to see my good works and glorify you who are in heaven. Help listen to my prayers for their salvation. But eventually, we're going to have to come to terms with the fact that there is evil 
Hitler is good and that God defines what those things are and he is the one who calls people to himself and he does that because he knows what is best and he knows what is right and he knows those who are his and there is evil in this world and we are called to stand and walk as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation shining as lights in this world that will draw attention to you And most of us don't like that kind of attention, and we will do what's necessary. And we see it played out in our world as different people um, in the public eye say something that goes against the public um, demonic narrative, and all of a sudden the worldly world attacks them. The mob comes at them. And so what do they do? They back up. They backtrack. They try to appease the mob, which you can't do. And so as believers, we have to be careful we aren't doing that that we don't backtrack off the gospel, that we don't backtrack off the truth and light to appease whatever mob it is out there that's trying to say to us, follow our agenda, not yours. Keep your church stuff in the church, not out here in the public square. That is demonic. And we had to name it for what it is. Um, Flip Wilson was a comedian that I don't recommend going back and listening to. But one of the lines he had was, you know, the devil made me do it. And that was his thing. The devil made me do it. And that was his excuse for everything. The devil made me do it. Well, guess what? The devil made him come up with that line. The devil made him do all the, the stuff that he did that was evil and not right, as he, as he does with all of us. But also, it's the inclination of our hearts is bent towards evil. And so what we have to be careful of is that as believers, we've been recreated with new hearts. And there's a battle that's set up between the flesh and the spirit. But the flesh is strong and it pulls at us. But we just resist the devil and he'll flee from us. Our problems and what we're being warned of even here in Revelation is conquer through faith. The devil has no power here that we don't give him. But what the devil works on are the things that we're going to see all over the book of Revelation, but particularly right here. It's these things that you hear are being whispered into your head, whatever they may be, that causes you to act in a way contrary to the scriptures in a non-Christ-like manner. That might sound quite pleasant to you. You know, you, they don't deserve you. Why did they do? You know, all these little things that we hear, and it just sounds, yeah, it makes sense, that makes sense. But if you're not in his word, and you're just thinking about yourself, and you're not doing the things and trying to be who God would have you to be, then you will be seduced, even as a believer, by these spirits, by the world, by your own flesh. And the next thing you know, you're walking in darkness and wondering why has God abandoned you. And he hasn't at all. You've closed the pull, you've pulled the shades and said, I don't want your light in here. And eventually, one morning, like a good father, it's going to come in, strip the sheets off you, pull up the shades and say, it's time to get up. And man, the light hurts when you've been sleeping so good, not wanting to go to school. But thank God that sometimes there's somebody there to wake you up and tell you that let's get going. So verse 14, you, know, you get this voice, 13, that's coming from the altar. So it's probably just the saints. You know, it, 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 this is the, the voice of those who are calling out in prayer. And there's also God's voice, too, because God is the one using the prayers of the saints. saying, yeah, we're going to just a little longer until the full number of the saints, believers, come in. But right now... There's trumpets that are blowing. So he says to the sixth angel who had the sixth trumpet, 
Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. All right. <laughs> great river Euphrates. That sounds odd. So four angels um, without... All right, Revelation in 9. Let me see where I can find this real quick. Anyway, it's earlier in Revelation. They are told, um, <clears throat> the angels are told there's the... the the sixth seal, and it's about the end of the world, but then um, God, God tells the angels to hold back the four winds so that we can seal the believers first. This is where the 144,000 are and the innumerable number of people that are believers are. And so these four winds are being held back, and now we get to this sixth trumpet, and you see these four angels, that most likely it's like, okay, now. And so what we're seeing is there, is there is a delay of the end of the world for the sake of the church so that Christ builds his church until the very end so that the full number of believers can come in. But there are times, and he's, he has particular hour, day, month, years, and I don't believe that this is just one particular future time, but there will be a particular future time. But there are times in the world where evil has grown so great, where things have gotten so bad that God has had to look at the rainbow and say, I have promised never to destroy the world with flood, that these things will continue, seasons will continue until the final day. But there are times when the four angels, four corners, and this represents the whole world being judged, they're released from the river Euphrates, the river Euphrates was the northern border of um, the, the promised land. All of the enemies that were coming into uh, the promised land came over the Euphrates. The Assyrians came over the Euphrates. The Babylonians over the Euphrates. The Persians, um, Perthians came over the Euphrates. And then finally Rome comes over the Euphrates. In John's day, the Euphrates represented the... The, the western border of Rome's influence. And so that thing that's going to hold chaos out, that border that's going to keep out the bad guys, that border that separates your control from things that can come in and wreck that control, that's where they're coming from. They're coming from there. Wherever the bad guys exist in your mind, they're being released and they're coming into the world these that had been held back we're now seeing that there is a, a release of them that's taking place and then 915 so the four angels who had been prepared for this particular moment in time were released to kill a third of mankind in the last trumpet they weren't allowed to kill anybody they just tortured them now there's going to be death that's allowed so the demonic oppression happens to the non-believer in a way to keep them seeing the light, to harden them, for God to demonstrate his justice in what he's doing in their judgment. Because what should be happening as the world sees these things is to say, look at evil. This is terrible. This is horrific. Who can help us? Who can save us? And then look to God and recognize God is the one who is right and holy and good. And we are the ones who deserve this judgment. We look what we do to the world. Look how bad we are. But instead, what we see the world does is just harden itself as, an, uh, as a child who refuses to listen to any sort of instruction from anyone, just continues to harden themselves with any sort of discipline that takes place. Verse 16, the number of the mounted troops was 
twice 10,000, times 10,000, and this is the word myriads that's used there. And it, it seems, and the NIV and a couple other translations, they do the math, and this comes to 200 million. And so if you listen to much end times teaching, eschatological teaching, you'll hear certain dispensational teachers, people who hold the different views, saying that this is going to be a 200 million man army that's going to arise one day and kill a third of all mankind. Hey, that might happen. I don't think that's what this is talking about. This is a number that's symbolic of something. And what's that number symbolic of? It's symbolic of the word ginormous. This is huge. This is a number that is so by 200 million, not a man army, but a demonic army of 200 million demons. And we've seen the same imagery coming up in Revelation. that are marching forward. And then think about this. The demonic horde coming forward in this huge, huge number. And in verse 17, this is how I saw these horses in my vision and those who rode on them. They had breastplates that were a color of sapphire and sulfur, fire and sapphire and sulfur. And, and these are all judgment type things. That word sapphire, I looked it up in, in the Greek. It's like a, it's a, a, a red, how did it say it? It's a red that verges on black. It's so red, it's almost black. So it's this deep color. These are judgment colors, all these things. And then the heads of the horses were like lion heads. Okay, so we don't look for some equipment to come in the future that looks just like this. Okay, this is demonic. These are horses like lions. I mean, picture. So why do you say it's a horse if it has a lion's head? Why do you say it's a lion that has a body of a horse? Because that doesn't fit the imagery. Horses are battle instruments. Their demons are going forth in these horses, and then their heads are like lions' heads, and smoke and fire and sulfur come out of their mouths. And by these three plagues, they're called. And the word plagues, I think, in our modern ears means diseases. But anything that plagues you are, are difficult, hard things. A plague can be anything. You have a plague of... Can't think of any bad thing that can be a plague. Termites. There you go. <laughs> that can be a plague upon you. For the power... Or just people who gossip and stuff real bad at you. That can be a plague of gossips. So by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by fire, smoke, and sulfur coming from their mouths. What does it mean, a third of mankind? And we've seen this number before. And a third is just a very incomplete number. Okay? There are three judgments that are plagues that are coming forth. And three in the Bible is, is a book. Uh, it's a number of completeness too. But I don't get too much into this. It's not as complete as seven. And not complete in the same way as 10. <laughs> but the number three is, this is a complete judgment. But it's a temporary judgment. Looking forward to the final judgment. And one third of mankind is killed to demonstrate that this is a temporal judgment. Pointing to a final judgment that will come. So that when mankind sees war and death and disease and all these plagues. These demonic forces that are coming forward. This is some, that instead of hardening themselves and being mad at God, they should, they should repent of their sin and say, I'm adding to this, I'm making this, we need the one true God. So you see what happens when the light turns on in a believer's heart. You recognize the fact that that's what we deserve. This is bad, this is terrible. It is difficult for the believer to look at horrific incidences of evil and ourselves not think, oh God, how do you allow this? 
But now you understand the prayers of the saints in the altar saying, how long, O Lord, before you avenge these things? And God says, oh, it's going to be avenged. You think you're angry at this? The question is, why don't you put into it now? And there's no really perfect answer to that until we see the other side of heaven. But some of it is because we do live in the curse. And some of it is because there is judgment that's happening on the earth now. And we do need to recognize how evil is in some experiential way so that we can have greater appreciation for its opposite. It's a partial answer to these things. But if you look, verse 18, the fire and smoke itself are coming out of their mouths, for the power of the horses is in their mouths. So what's that mean? And remember, these horses are like lions. And most likely what this means is this is a speaking thing. This is, uh, we keep in mind that the Bible tells us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So, you know, one of the things, too, let me say, if we look at this and we think, okay, this is somehow talking about modern warfare, and the book of Revelation is telling us um, to watch out for a time when a particular country is going to rise up and come after another particular country. We better be ready when that happens. And I'm kind of like, yeah, why, what are you going to do? Okay, so what, what are we going to do? It's like, well, be ready because the time is... The time is up when time's up for you. I mean, none of if the Lord tarries, none of us are going to get to the last day. And if there is a great army that's going to come, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> Remain faithful. Preach to God. Do what you're doing. Remain faithful despite of what you may see. And so what a lot of people do, and what we can, maybe we're missing the point if we're looking at Revelation for this timeline, and we're thinking to ourselves, man, is this going to be China? Well, you know, there's a church in China that's being persecuted by the government in China, and hopefully the gospel's going to be so great in China one day that maybe they start thinking, they talking about the United States of America? It's funny how we don't ever think it's the United States of America. We see ourselves as a shining city on a hill. That's the church, though. The church within a country is not the same as the country itself. So we have to be very careful about these things. But if we start thinking about what country is it, when is this happening, these timelines, we miss it. Because when the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, he's not after countries, he's after people, image bearers of God, all of mankind. And he will use armies of men and evil rulers and politicians, but the battle is particularly within your heart, within your spirit. The battle is for your faith. And Satan is after, particularly after the church, but not just the church, all mankind. Because we're all created in the likeness and image of God. So as these demons are using their mouths and like these lions and there's innumerable, not, they're not innumerable. They're this particular number, a large number, 200 million. But if you remember the ceiling of the believers, what we saw there was the 144,000. But then he says, I looked and I saw... And let's see, this is Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. He's sealing the church and is represented by the 
12 tribes of Israel and 12,000 being the number of fullness. But then he says, I heard this number, and then I look. So you, you kind of think, it's like, well, 144,000 versus 200 million, it's like, that's, the odds are not in our favor. Well, but then we think in terms of power, so it doesn't make a difference. But you look at chapter, uh, <clears throat> chapter 7, verse 9, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude. So he heard the number of the 144,000, and he looks and sees what this number represents, and he sees a great multitude that no one could number. This is bigger than a gazillion. This is bigger than 200 million. This is a multitude. This is the church. You could see and hear the number of the demonic forces that were finite. And the church is finite too, but you can't even number it. The stars in the sky, the sand on the sea. The church is powerful against this relatively small armies of demons who seek to come out, whereas a believer, all you do is resist them and they flee from you. Your light shines and they can't do anything to you. The body they may kill, but that might only serve to make the gospel go forth in greater power. And certainly, they have no power over our souls. And yet, so what's the result? A third of them die because of false teaching. And then, the, you know, the heads and the tails are like, okay, it sounds great. I'll give you everything you want. There's some song, vote for me and I'll set you free. But it's, it's only enslaving. And so what, what's left behind are these tails, like the serpent in the garden that strikes. And so you're consumed by false teaching. You're killed by false teaching. Um, false worship, false gods, all of these things that lead mankind astray, that's what they're after and they're attacking. The, 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 beware that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be aware of him and stand firm in the truth of the gospel. So we're called to be aware of these things. But the rest of mankind, these are the non-believers, the ones who didn't, didn't physically die. And this is, again... Symbolic language, okay, third of them are killed. It's not a final judgment. There's a bunch that haven't been killed yet. What about them? Surely they look and they go, save us from this demonic horde. But they don't. They're not killed by the plagues. They don't repent of the works of their hands. If you remember Psalm 115, I read it at the beginning. It's idolatry, the works of their hands. They don't give them up, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. And you remember the psalmist said, those who worship them become like them. So if you're going to worship money that just sits there and doesn't do anything really, that's what you're going to be like. If you're going to worship your material possessions that end up rotting or being stolen, that's what you're going to be like. If you worship your family, that cannot ultimately provide safety and security and peace, things can happen to them too, then you're going to become the type of person that nobody can depend on either. But if you worship the one true God, you stand on the rock of Christ Jesus, and that's where your, your salvation stands. That's where your assurance is. If you're worshiping him, you're going to become like him. And that's what we're called to do, become like him. So the thing that you seek for your security, that's the thing you're going to start to be like. Think about a child. You know, you, you watch the, the Super Bowl and all the, the players that have won. You know, where are you going? Disney World. 
It's interesting, yeah. But they say, hey, to their mamas. <laughs> oh, mom. You know, or is that comfort? Yeah, it comes from that. So, you know, so you become, hopefully even guys, whatever, you become, hopefully you had a good mom. If you did, and if you don't, you know what they're supposed to be like anyway. You kind of become like that. If you have a father that's good, you tend to become like that. You know, whoever in your life you've looked up to as whatever, as a good thing, that's what you strive toward. And if, if it's God, ultimately, where you find your peace, safety, and security, then that's the one that you will become like. And so one of the things we have to do is, What's your life look like? Are you more of a, verse 21, are you repenting of your murders? That means hatred in your heart even? Like looking at people and just, eh, eh, eh. you know, I do it. We all do that. And Jesus is like, you've already murdered in your heart. Sorceries, it's actually where pharmakeia is where a lot of the word for drugs comes from. But it, it ends up being just where you try to manipulate the things in this world to either for, for demonic purposes, actually you know, it's on the rise today even sexual immorality even in your heart and thefts and these things in the Old Testament are always tied to idolatry it's part of the Ten Commandments and things too but if you worship idols and demons you're to become like them the nastiest, dirtiest, meanest filthiest most defeated beings in the universe or do we want to become more like Christ as we come to his table and he says, you need me. And I give myself to you. You need strength? This is it, the gospel. I am your strength, Jesus says to us. You need, you need an anchor in a storm? That's me. Not your drugs, not your friends, not your family, not your school, not your education, not your boat, not your whatever you use, not your home, not your, nothing. These things can all be swept away and, and what's left And it's him. So we're being warned as a church by these trumpets. Don't be fooled. And don't believe that when bad things are happening to you, that it means maybe God doesn't love you so much. That's when you lean into him. When things are hard, and there are, and it's good to have people. It's good to have the church. It's good to have people and things that you can lean into and physical arms to cry into people that you can, and the Bible tells us to do these things and they're good things, but ultimately our foundation is in Jesus Christ so that no matter what comes we know we're secure and one day we will see him face to face. So let's pray. Father God, we pray that as we see things happening in the world, judgments, wars, disease, false teachers, voices that come into our minds and we hear things, Lord, it is very difficult for us. And in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, he talks about a man who has a, a serpent on his shoulder and he stands before a great angel and he's apologizing for the serpent and he can't get the serpent to shut up and the, the angel says, you want me to take care of that for you? And he says, yes, please. He says, well, come closer and I'll kill it. And the man says, no. Don't kill it. There's no need to, to be that serious about all of this. And he won't allow the angel to kill the serpent whispering lies on him because he's fallen in love with him. And that's what we do. We fall in love with our idols. Help us to have no affection that competes for your affection. 
and that we would seek to have our idols put to death and that we would seek to be lights in the world that we might snatch some from the fire. As we come to your table, we thank you that you're with us in all these things and you strengthen us. And we pray these things with great confidence in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.